We start again today still in the middle of a series called This Is That. Before I jump into the Word this morning, I want to remind you if you've seen our announcements, next Sunday is going to be a really special Sunday. Dr. Billy Wilson, the president of Oral Roberts University, will be with us. He'll be speaking in both services. If you've never heard Billy Wilson speak, he is one of the foremost leaders in the Christian world today. What he's doing at Oral Roberts University, he has made that, if not the premier, it's one of the premier places for the next generation to be educated in medicine, law, education, ministry service. He has ORU clicking at a place that it's never been before. And um, we have some mutual friends, and for several months I've been trying to get him to come and speak and be with us. So he'll be here the whole weekend, next weekend, speaking in both services. And I hope you'll invite somebody to be with you. It's really going to be a special day. He's an, an anointed speaker with a special grace on his life at this time. In his late 50s, really touching a generation. The kids at ORU adore him, and I want you to be exposed to him. Not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, I'm going to be um, sharing two things. From 7 to 7.30, there'll be a parent meeting, and we're asking all parents of middle schoolers and high schoolers to be here. And I'm going to be sharing about the next steps post-Pastor Ben, and I'm excited about that. And um, we're going to be talking further about the season, the schedule for the summer, and um, where we're looking and what we plan for the future. After that, I think you've seen the announcements from 7.30 until 8.30, not this Wednesday, but next, March 30th. I'm going to be speaking and teaching in depth on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And there's going to be an, a wide open Q&A time as well. And we've said around here that we are spirit-filled, Pentecostal, charismatic, full gospel. We believe the gifts are for the church today, but we don't do. And I'm going to be talking about what is crazy and um, why we don't do crazy. So I hope that you'll be here because it's a pivotal time in the life of our church. So much growth. And I find that, everybody listen to me, as we grow for us to stay unified, the leader needs to continue to keep the vision and the word of the Lord for that house before the people so that people can know what they're aligning with. And so that's going to be a very special time. Deep breath, sermon. Um, this is that. Um, I... I believe repetition is good, and so I begin this series, I mean this sermon this morning the same way I have the last five or six. This is that is a series about the prophetic, what we see happening in our world right now. This is that. This that we're seeing in the culture and around the world is that, that the Bible prophesied would happen. And so as we see it happening, it comes from Acts chapter 2, verse 16, where the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was birthed and people didn't know what was going on. It looked weird. There was a new level of exuberance and even early in the morning and the religious people thought that the apostles and the people who had been praying were drunk. And Peter said, they are not drunk. This 
is that which was prophesied in Joel chapter 2 and he quoted from the Old Testament. And so we stand here today going, there everywhere you look, and this is another week, we see even more of it, um, significant events happening. Jesus said, the closer you get to my return, they'll be like birth pains. You will have contractions. They'll be more severe, acute, intense, and they will happen more frequently. And my goodness, we're in the delivery room, it feels like. And, the, you know, we, we don't have time to wait and, and continue to measure them. None of us have ever seen what we're seeing right now. And so when we start talking prophecy, I know because it's been abused, as many of the spiritual gifts have, people see it as taboo and they turn away from it. But prophecy, there's four different responses, four different groups of people. One is there are a group of people that they're not aware that what's happening was prophesied. They never heard the prophecy. So when those things start happening, they're bewildered, disoriented, because they didn't even know it was coming. Second group of people are the people who, they heard the prophecy, they just didn't agree with it or receive it. And when the prophecy gets fulfilled, they're like the religious people who go, oh man, these people are drunk. They mislabel what God is doing. They don't recognize what God's doing in the earth. When God told them he was going to do it. So they heard the prophecy, but they just didn't accept it. The third group of people are the people who heard the prophecy and accepted it, embraced it. But because they had to wait so long, they gave up hope and stopped believing it. And then when it comes to pass, they're like, they have an, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And they get caught off guard and then they have to spend the next season of their life catching up, getting prepared. But the prophecy's already come, it's being fulfilled. And then the fourth group of people are the people like that are filling up this room. And they filled it up in the first service. It's people who heard the prophecy, received it, and have waited patiently. And now that they see these prophecies being fulfilled, they're prepared, eager, and they're anticipating the great things that God has promised because he said these things would happen. Now this morning, I want to talk to you about end times people. And here's what we're going to find out. End times people, that's us, we know that things, the Bible says in the last days, that things are going to grow worse and worse. So we know that. When it's happening, we're not bewildered. We're not full of fear. And what do we do as end times people when things grow worse and worse? We do what the Bible tells us to do. We remain as light in a dark world. And we shine brightly. We do what Mark Joseph's wife does. She shines, and so do we. And so we shine brightly. And that's the, that's, we are God's answer in a dark world. And not only do we shine brightly, but we persevere and stand against the darkness. So listen. As end times people, we know things are going to grow worse and worse. It's going to get darker and darker. It's going to be like cave-like darkness. 
And we shine in that darkness. We shine. And we stand against evil. And because we are doing what God's called us to do, shine, lighting up the darkness, God astonishes the people. The book of Acts said over and over, the people were amazed. And the Bible says, and people were added to the church daily because of what God was doing. And the fulfillment of this is that. And I just thank the Lord this morning. I have a very basic, almost feel like I need to apologize. This is it's a two-point sermon, and it's only going to last 55 minutes, and we'll be out of here. Uh, they're two really good points. No, I'm kidding. But I, in the middle of this series, I just I really feel like God calling, is calling us to realize things are going to get worse and worse. But he's on the throne, and we are still his children, and he's calling us to light up the darkness. Are you all out there this morning? And so as we gather, I want to just also just shed some things as in this unusual season, God's attracted a big crowd and filled this place up a couple times, that we don't gather around politics. We don't gather around ideologies. Although we know what's happening in the world, and we don't avoid those subjects around here, sweep them under the rug, excuse them away. We know what's happening, and we see how God's Word addresses these ideologies and political influences, but we don't gather around a political party or a conservative or liberal idea. We gather in the name of Jesus around the Word of God in the Holy Spirit, which brings unity, and we gather in His name, and we look into the Word, and we see all of this is that. And while the world is trying to change so much, and there's massive deception at levels that are unthinkable, it's hard to believe that millions of people in a nation can be misled like we are being misled right now. And thank God for the word that we don't gather as a political group, but we gather around the eternal, infallible, inerrant word of God, and we declare it with an anointing that comes from his spirit, and we are shaped and transformed by it. And so we will prosper in this dark day. We will drive back darkness. Light has never lost or been intimidated, or shrunk back. Light has never trailed darkness. Where there is light, it dispels darkness. And we are the light of the world. Hallelujah. Even in the last days, we're the light of the world. So, we look at God's word and we go, this, the prophet said, the word of God is like the plumb line. We know what is balanced because the word tells us. You can move those two lines in the middle to adjust around that little bubble and call this balanced or truth or right, but it will never be true or right. We look in the word of God, hallelujah. And so this morning, we gather around the word of God to keep our hearts balanced, to keep our heads clear free from fear, balanced, 
in the eternal truth of God's Word. How many of you are thankful this morning that we have God's Word as a plumb line to lead us? Come on, and guide us. Come on, to encourage us, to give us faith to mount up and rise up over every challenge. Hallelujah. And so that's who we are and why we gather this morning. With all of that said, we are seeing depravity at levels in my life we've never seen. What's depravity? It is life without God. And it leads to death and ah. Uh, you know, if you don't believe in the depravity of man, just go to Walmart late at night and you will see everywhere the examples of the depravity of man, especially in Woodstock. You go over there on Highway 92. Y'all know what I'm talking about and it's true. Walmart just has a way of just stirring up my heart spiritually. I, I go pray usually when I leave Walmart, sometimes right in the middle of Walmart. I pray that I can get out of there alive. But the depravity of man, people, we've, we've taken prayer out of schools. We've taken the Ten Commandments out of the courthouses. And we are seeing levels of depravity People are losing their minds. Just this week, a man was listed as a nominee for the USA Today Woman of the Year Award. A young man won first place in the Young Women's NCAA Swimming Championship, the 500-meter freestyle. And I just, we, we can't just not say anything about that. The whole world's going, that's insanity. It's crazy. And I know there's an influence that would say, tamp down, Pastor Chuck. Be more compassionate, understanding. It's insanity, people. It's this. It's not this. We live in a crazy world, and you can feel it. Something's changed. The bad is getting worse. And I know that there were bad days in Nero, and I understand all of that. But we are seeing more than Nero. We're seeing end-time stuff everywhere we look. Do you realize what I'm saying? I'm not looking for a sermon topic right now. I'm an end-times pastor in the end times speaking to a church calling you to the word of God to realize what's happening. Godlessness is overtaking almost every institution, every platform, every square inch of our culture. Thugs are robbing elderly people in the broad daylight. Men and women in their 80s are being beat up and robbed. And we sit here today and tomorrow in the state of Georgia, in our capital, the HB 1013 bill will be voted on. And that bill will be voted on tomorrow at the state capitol where a bill that appears to be a mental health bill, and that's a good thing. It's compassionate, but it's much more far-reaching than that. It reaches out where pedophilia will no longer be a crime, but a mental health disorder. It's a bill that will allow our Georgia state tax money to be used for gender reassignment surgeries. And we better stand up. 
we better recognize that is insanity. And that culture that embraces that is about to go over the edge. Now, Pastor Chuck, evil's always been evil, and it has. But doesn't it feel like we have reached a tipping point? It does. So what do we do? We look to God's word. And we see in God's word specific instructions where Paul tells Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first five verses, and he's speaking to Timothy about the last days. You can read with me from the ESV. Understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be, just listen to this, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. How many of y'all are oppressed? Like, could somebody come take the microphone and finish this sermon for me? <laughs> this is a load. And lastly, he says, in the church, they'll have an appearance of godliness, but they won't have any power. They'll look like, but they won't be like. There won't be any power there. They'll have all the form and ritual. And isn't that what we're seeing today? And Paul says to Timothy, avoid such people. Eight verses later in verse 13, he says this, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Look, he's saying evil men. Evil men will be more and more and more evil. Evil men who they claim to be nothing more than evil men. And then they'll be imposters. People who don't claim to be evil men, they claim to be good men. Even they will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, in this passage, Paul gives us 19 specific character descriptions of what people will be like, the nature of godlessness in the last day. And here's the pattern we see, if you've never noticed it. Paul's words move in this list from selfish people to splintered families to shattered societies. Let's talk about them first. Let's talk about selfish people. It's the first thing he says. In the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. Narcissus from Greek mythology, according to legend, was a hunter who was extremely handsome. Women constantly fell in love with him, but he spurned their advances and disdained all who tried to approach him. One day, Narcissus came to a clear pool in the middle of the woods, and he saw his reflection, and immediately he fell in love with his own face. And when he realized what was going on, that he had not encountered another person, but he had encountered himself. When he realized that, he took his life in a burst of despair. That's the origin of the word for narcissism, the excessive love of self that kills others and the narcissist. According to scripture, the last days will be perilous. There will be great difficulty because there will be widespread narcissism. People who love only themselves and that will cause them to be boasters, to be proud, and to be blasphemers. In verse 2 it says, 
These will be people that love to talk about themselves and hear other people talk about them too. They're proud, haughty, arrogant people who can't help but look down on everyone else. And the word blasphemers here refers to verbal abuse toward God. And that's a serious crime. Jesus said it's an unpardonable sin to be verbally abusive toward God. And it would take more time than I have to really break that down. But we're seeing what I think is lots of blasphemy. Robert Ringer was an early promoter of this ideology of living for self, this aggressive form of narcissism. In 1984, he published a book called Winning Through Intimidation. He encouraged people to view themselves as wolves or foxes, seizing what they wanted and dominating those around them. His next book was aptly titled Looking Out for Number One. And both books were number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And couldn't we talk about the New York Times and their trustworthiness this week? But Robert Ringer is seen today as a visionary, a model entrepreneur, and he sold selfishness. He promoted it. He's quoted in the book, Clear your mind, then forget the moral standards others may have tried to cram down your throat, and do what is best for you. So we see selfishness, widespread narcissism. Several years ago, we started hearing counselors help, typically it was a woman, deal with being married to a narcissistic husband. And early on, I thought, man, counselors, they're always labeling something or diagnosing something and give it a name. But you, you have to sit back and go, there's a, there's a, I think it's an evil spirit. It's a, this selfie, me.com generation, there is a lot of self-idolization. The second thing that Paul said, he, he, he processed or progressed into, there would be splintered families. And my goodness, haven't we seen that to be the truth? And now we have government-sponsored agencies who are motivated to see the nuclear family dissolved. And with Antifa and cultural Marxism, God help us if we're not going to stand up and say and call that what it is. They're trying to destroy what the Bible teaches is the most basic institution in all of society. It's World War III is what it is. It's just not tanks and artillery. It's psychological warfare. And we have to stand and call it what it is according to the word of God. But splintered families, this increasing selfishness of the last days will manifest itself in selfish people who destroy their families by being selfish. People will focus less on loved ones. And there are five descriptive terms here that I want to break down just quickly. Paul says... They'll be disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, and unforgiving. He says children will be disobedience 
disobedient to parents. And we now have state-sponsored education, primary and secondary education, where the entry for woke ideology begins when a teacher helps a young boy or girl understand that their parents did the best they could with what they have had. But we now have much more data, we're much more educated, and let us tell you what you really need to know. And that is a splintering of the family, and we are seeing it's not coming. It's not coming. It's here. And we're seeing these last days signs all around us. Not only will children be disobedient, there'll be people will be ungrateful. There will be a, an inability to feel gratitude. And this is why we have, we see entitlement everywhere. I can't be thankful. You owe me something. Thirdly is we, we see a level of unholy. This is someone who throws off the oversight of all levels of authority and harbors a growing sense of rebellious hatred. Ask most school teachers and educators, especially in public schools, if this is an issue today. And they can't get order in their classroom. You have to be very good to even be effective to be a teacher. This is a national problem in public education. They'll also be unloving. Normal human affection will wither away. And this word is translated in other New Testament places as heartless. It's like what the NFL did for the Super Bowl. I have an inside um, person who gave me the story. The, the NFL, God bless their hearts, spent $75,000 to police out on the West Coast prostitution and human sexual trafficking, $75,000. They brought in some undercover agents to protect. And yet they put Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and Eminem and Mary J. Blige out on the halftime show who celebrates misogynistic, homophobic, all of the things that they want to be seen as standing against. One guy tweeted, good thing the NFL is cracking down on racism and misogyny in its ranks. I will be able to enjoy the Super Bowl halftime show featuring Snoop, Eminem, and Dre much more enthusiastically now. Another guy tweeted, if they wanted a culture free from racist, misogyny, and homophobic slurs, they wouldn't have Eminem, Dr. Dre, and Snoop booked for the Super Bowl halftime show. It's unloving, heartlessness. It, later, the next ser sermon in this series is the love of money and what it's doing. And it's, there's a lot to be said. And may God deliver us from the cancer of loving money. It's the root of all evil. Y'all out there this morning? Paul said they would be unforgiving in the last days. People whose rebellion and bitterness grows into dangerous levels of toxicity where people lack the capacity to forgive. Unbearable living. They can't forgive others and they can't forgive themselves and they've given up hope and they are now what they're turned over to what Jesus said would be tormentors. So, 
What do we do, Pastor Chuck? Wish you would just get to this point in the sermon in this series a little quicker every week. Well, there's good news from the scripture. We have something to do. If the ungodly world is characterized by these negatives, how should God's people live in such craziness? I'll tell you how. We should be the exact opposite. Where there is disobedience, we should be obedient. Where there is ingratitude, we should be grateful. Where there is unholy living, we should be holy. Where there is hatred, there should be love. Where there is unforgiveness, we should be the light in these situations and be forgiving. And you know, we as a church, let's break this down a second. You know, what do you do when you're, you're, you're raising a family in this kind of culture? Do you just go, you know what, kids are just going to be disobedient today. No, you don't. No, you don't do that. You don't throw in the hat and go, you know what, it's just overwhelming. It's just too much. That's not what you do. And as a church, what do you do? Entertain them on Wednesday nights? Become Disney sanctified? No, you don't. You stand as if you're in Babylon and you say, we are not bowing. We may burn, but we're not bowing. The lions may eat me alive, but I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to quit praying. I'm a child of God sent here as a world changer, a difference maker, a game changer. And we rise up not in our own strength, we rise up in the strength of the Lord and we stand like David did before Goliath and say, you can bark all you want, you uncircumcised Philistine. You don't stand there oblivious to the reality and go, he's not a giant. You say, yes, he is a giant. But this is that. That giant's getting ready to be this, a dead giant. Because we're going to stand and claim our homes and claim our marriages and claim our children and claim our student ministry and our children's ministry. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? We're going to stand and go, no, 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 to the influence of this culture. That's what we're going to do. Hallelujah. Lastly, selfish people, splintered families, shattered societies. Tony Evans, his statement from one of his early books is describing this negative progression that Paul talks about what's going to happen in the last days. And as only Tony Evans could say, he says this, listen closely. If you're a messed up man and you have a family, you're going to help make a messed up family. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family and your messed up family goes to church then your messed up family is going to make its contribution to a messed up church if you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family resulting in a messed up church causing a messed up neighborhood and your neighborhood's part of a city well now your messed up neighborhood's going to make its contribution to a messed up city if you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family resulting in a messed up church causing a messed up neighborhood that resides in a messed up city that's part of a messed up county and your county's part of the state, 
Well, now your messed up county is going to make its contribution to a messed up state. If you are a messed up man contributing to a messed up family resulting in a messed up church causing a messed up neighborhood that resides in a messed up city that's part of a messed up county contributing to a messed up state and your state's part of the country, well, now your messed up state's going to make its contribution to a messed up nation. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family <laughs> resulting in a messed up church causing a messed up neighborhood that resides in a messed up city that's part of a messed up county that's contributing to a messed up state that's contributing to a messed up country and your country's part of the world well now your messed up country is going to make its contribution to a messed up world what's the what's the message pastor chuck don't be a messed up man don't marry a messed up man don't let your daughter marry a messed up man don't raise any messed up young men. If you are a messed up man, get fixed up, cleaned up, delivered. And if you're here today and you're messed up, and I know who you are, you're here today. You're in the right place. You can get delivered, set free. You can be loving, forgiving, grateful, holy, and unselfish. Are y'all out there? How many of you used to be a messed up man? But you aren't anymore. Come on. We praise you, Lord. Whew. Shattered societies. Man, I could park right here. What they're doing to manhood and masculinity. It is, it is diabolical. If, you, if your eyes are open, and I know many of yours are, you're seeing the clothes that they're putting us in. You're seeing the way that they're marketing things. And you're seeing people that you can't tell if that's a man or not. And biblical masculinity is being called out, misunderstood. Let me go on record. A, a real man is tender toward his wife. A real man protects his wife, provides for his wife. A real man loves his children. A real man is a man who will sacrifice his own life for his family. A real man is a man who knows when to fight and how to fight. A real man is a man who stands up when the enemy comes in. I just had something come I want to tell this story just to protect someone. My oldest son, many of you know, our two oldest. I was, I was able to adopt. And um, it's a long story. Candace was married. And we um, just last week were on a ski trip. My son shared with us that when he was put through induction in his fraternity, there was a, a young man that really picked on him and said, called him out, said things like, your dad's not really your dad. Your dad didn't, your dad. And months later, we found out what had happened to my son. And when I found out, there was a righteous indignation. To this day, I can hardly talk about it. 
real men will fight, will fight to protect what matters most to the heart of God. And I just pray in the name of Jesus, sir, be cleansed from the brainwashing of what a real man looks. Be cleansed from the cultural pressure to become limp-wristed and insecure and appear to be fearful and anxious. Receive the revelation from God's word that you, the culture is counting on you. The culture depends on you. Don't become some bravo man. Become some Jesus man that carries a towel and is ready to wash someone's feet whenever someone needs their feet to be washed. Let real men take their place in the culture. Lord, may there not be messed up men in this place. May men get fixed up, cleaned up, filled up with your spirit in the name of Jesus. We praise you for it, Lord. Now, where do we go from here, Pastor Chuck? Two things we got to do. We spend half the sermon or more getting real about our, our situation that we're dealing with. Where do we go from here? What do we do? It's real simple. Are y'all ready? Y'all ready? We must understand that we are called in the dark season, we are called to do what? To be bright, to shine. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8, 9, and 10, in the New Living Translation says this. For once you were full of darkness. Anybody remember that day before you came to Christ? You're walking around groping in darkness. Once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Verse 8, he says, now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Say that with me. So live as people of light. Say it one more time. So live as people of light. Verses 9 and 10, he says, for this light within you, which is Jesus, that light within you, produces only what is good and right and true. So let's talk about those. being people of goodness, being people of righteousness, being people of integrity or truth. Number one, real quick, we're called to be good people. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, Paul says, See that no one renders evil for evil, but always pursue, chase after, what is good both for yourselves and for all? People of goodness. That's, that's who's bright in the darkness. Secondly, people of righteousness. In right position, right standing with God. If our relationship with other people is one of goodness, that's evidence that our relationship with God is in the right spot. It's one of righteousness. Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verse 11, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. He repeats this idea about pursuing righteousness. 2 Timothy 2, flee the evil desires of youth and 
Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What does it mean to pursue? To chase after, to hunt down. And that's what we're called to do. Listen, as if it was a business issue, as if it was the top of our to-do list and not down the list after we get everything else done. We are to pursue righteousness, being in the right position. There's no shortcut. That's how we are bright and shine in darkness. And then thirdly, lastly, we're to be people of truth. We walk in the light also in integrity. And we understand, listen, Ephesians 6, that the whole uniform for spiritual warfare, the helmet of salvation, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of peace, it's held together by the belt of integrity or truth. So let there be a revival in here of men who keep their word, women, young men and women who are reliable. They do what they say they'll do. They, they don't embellish or exaggerate. They don't fudge on their taxes or their expense report. They're people of integrity. And when that happens, the light in us causes us to shine. And so, don't look at me like, that's it? That's all you got this morning? You studied all week to come tell us to be the light of the world. Yes, I did. And I'm not embarrassed. Pastor Jack Hayford said, oh, it's getting ready to get real in here. That's not what he said. We, we, we love like revelation. We love like rhema word. Jack Hayford years ago said, most Christians don't want to go change the world. They want to have a spiritual orgasm. They just want to go, oh, that's, that's good. That's good. That's good. When the world, people are groping in darkness. Where's the light? It's right here. And when we leave this place today, in my prayer time, the Lord has shown me, and I'm going to set the example, that we're going to be little beacons that in Walmart, at the dry cleaner, wherever we go in our neighborhoods, some of you, your greatest spiritual experiences are getting ready to be outside of this church, not inside. Be open to that. And I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not committed. I'm going to set the example. I'm going to have more people here on Easter, friends of mine who don't come to this church, than anybody in here. How's that for... It, it's going to happen. How many of you would love to lead someone to Christ before Memorial Day? How many of you, Memorial Day 2022, by the way. How many? Anybody? Do, do you know how dark the world is? Do you know how confused, fearful, chaotic? People, are, people who are lost used to not realize they're lost. People, some people found right now feel lost. This is, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit out there. Are y'all out there? 
Let us go and be the light of the world and see transformation truly happen. Let it be. Secondly, coming to a close at 1221 with nine minutes to spare. What else do we do, Pastor Chuck? Be bright and don't be afraid to stand against the darkness. It's not unchristlike to stand against darkness. Y'all out there? It's a good opportunity for somebody in the middle to say amen. It's not unchristlike to stand against evil. So, Ephesians, we just read verses 8, 9, and 10. Look what verses 11 through 14 say. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, say it with me, expose them. Anybody sense of all the things that are happening we've read? There's a lot of selfishness, ingratitude. Anybody know that there's some exposure happening right now? Y'all went all politically correct on me. How many of you know there's some rocks and stones being turned over? It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. I think Paul's talking to us, to the church. Arise, stop sleeping, the nap, nap time's over. Come out of your slumber. Arise, rise up from the dead, come to life spiritually. And if you do that, Christ will give you the light. Look what the, new, the message says right here on this same passage. Don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one will see. Rip the cover off those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Wake up from your sleep. I love this. Climb out of your coffins. Who climbs out of their coffins? People who are buried but are still alive. Get up out of your looking dead. And what will happen? Christ will show you the light. We're living in a time, you know this, but hear me. There is darkness everywhere, profound darkness. Have you ever been caving? Have you ever been in a miner's Cave, it's like darkness at a whole nother level. It's like, I didn't know dark could be that dark. Anybody ever experienced that? That's what people are living in right now. And they can be brainwashed with gender confusion and all of these different deceptive issues. But at the end of the day, the wages of sin is death. People who fight for these things at some point are going to go, what was I doing? This, this hasn't brought me life or meaning or hope. So what, what happens? 
God's plan is that there would be someone with light to help people out of darkness. I know this sounds so basic and youth groupy, but just indulge me. Do you remember, I, I moved here in 1989, and the church used to have a youth parsonage, and I didn't realize what insects could do in Georgia. I'm a Virginia boy, came from Tennessee, and like when I got here, I got introduced to what Georgia insects can do. And this is B.C., it was before Candace, and so I've, I've never been like an anointed housekeeper, you know, and so... I left things out on the counter for years, you know, and I can remember sometimes in the middle of the night going into my kitchen out there in Woodstock, and there would be the biggest cockroaches looking at me like, who do you think you are? Turn the light back off. You ever opened up a, turned over a, a rock or old piece of wood and you see like there's a whole city of people down there of like bugs and stuff anybody know what I'm talking about there's there's a whole world of darkness looking for someone to turn on the lights to where people like the bugs under the board like the cockroaches in my kitchen what's going on and then they have to make a choice do I go back in the darkness or do I learn to make an adjustment, come into the light? Anybody remember in the late, in the early 90s, up Interstate 75, just north of Cleveland, Tennessee, north of Chattanooga, about 45 minutes, there's a, a paper plant called Bowwater. You may remember this. Sometimes because of that paper plant being so close to the interstate, and the, the smoke and the emissions that come out of that plant and the way it touches that climate up there, it can be so foggy, you just get lost in the fog. How many of you have ever been, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who went to Lee University, you remember. And sometimes you, you have to slow down to where you are creeping 15, 20 miles an hour because you can just see just barely Ahead, and your headlights just get absorbed. You remember in the early 90s, there was a pileup, 110 cars. Pastor Munn's brother, Chris, worked in the emergency room in Bradley County Hospital, and I remember us talking about it. They were overwhelmed. People mangled, some with no longer having life, and they told us that the reason all those cars piled up was there was zero visibility. You know what zero visibility is? That means when you're standing in that kind of fog and you look down, you can't see your own shoes. And those cars were just hitting the cars ahead of them before they even could see them. That is what our world is living in right now. That kind of blinding darkness, zero visibility, that if somebody could just get ahead of them and tell them, here's what you're getting ready to drive into, don't do it, or let me escort you through that. And you could make the adjustments and survive it. 
We are light bearers as a church. May this place, in the low-hanging fruit of what's going on in our world, brothers and sisters, I just sense the Holy Spirit, the anointing again. Between now and next Sunday, none of us know. Things could turn in Eastern Europe before the sun sets tonight. And this is a whole different planet. And I'm being faithful. I'm not being sensationalistic. Pay close attention to what's happening. The world is groping in darkness. But thank God, we are not. We're a city on a hill. We're a lamp on a stand giving light to people who are longing to come out of darkness. So let Restoration Church fulfill the prophetic word that came almost two years ago that said, where God said, I'm getting ready to draw a like-minded group of people together. People who want the same thing, who are hungry for God, who love the Bible, who want to get in His presence, who want to reach the lost world. God said, I'm getting ready. And there were about 125 people in this room that day. It was the first day we opened up. Pentecost Sunday, May 31st, 2020. And that prophetic word came forth. And God said, when I pull them together, and there's a like-minded group of people like is filling this sanctuary in both services, I'm going to make this church irresistible. That was his word. May God not only make this church irresistible, but let every gospel preaching, Jesus-loving church be the church. We are the hope of the world. This is God's plan for zero visibility this side of eternity. So let us rise up in this hour. Oh, Knowing, oh, we were born. We were created. We were spiritually drawn together for this season. So let every person act like when we gather, there's an irresistible heavenly force like what was in the book of Acts. What did the book of Acts say? In Acts chapter 24, it says, The disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, koinonia, breaking bread, and to prayer. And then what's it say? They were being light. And then it says, And everyone was filled with awe at the wonders God was doing. Wait a minute, all they were doing was getting together, eating, fellowshipping, studying the apostles' teaching, and praying. And God was bursting forth laser beams. And everybody in the surrounding communities, 17 times the book of Acts says, they were astonished, or they stood in awe. I believe with all my heart, God wants his church to see such a great work that CNN, Fox, MSNBC, Gotta Go Pee, 
all those that, that, that they have to report what God is doing in the church. I appreciate that golf clap, but God, God, give us a vision of what it can be like, what you want it to be like. May Alpharetta and Roswell, in the name of Jesus and for your glory, in your glory alone, may the community be astonished at what you're doing. May the people stand in awe. And what's the last part of that chapter say? And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. I don't think it's by coincidence. Last Sunday, four people gave their life to Christ in here, two first service, two second service. And since Sunday, two people who were here last Sunday who didn't stand had a friend in this church lead them to Christ since last Sunday. I got an email from one lady in our church who said, I've been dragging my friend around to church for years. And last Sunday, she came to Restoration for the first time. And she said this, Restoration is different. How many know we are different? Like different in a good kind of way. And Tuesday afternoon, I got a text from that same lady that she led her friend to Christ. Wouldn't it be awesome if, don't look at me like I'm some strange preacher. Wouldn't it be awesome if we started having a daily tally for how many people were coming to Christ through Restoration Church. And like there were no days where we had a zero. Like we've got 18 or 19 days in a row where there's three people, two people, one person, eight people. Is that, do y'all want that? Or do you want to just, hey, I just, I got some needs. I just, I just want to be fed every Sunday. How many of you want to be bright in a dark hour and see God drive back the works of darkness and astonish our culture. If you want that, come on, stand to, if you really want that, come on, stand to your feet. Father, I pray over these men and women, young men and young women. I pray especially first for these men. Men who are in the throes of it. We don't want to be consumed with this and that and the responsibilities and 401k and corporate stress and own my own business stress and moms caught up in homeschooling and getting my kids to school and seeing what the curriculum. Lord, fill us up with your spirit. May every man who is wounded, messed up, get straightened up filled up in the fellowship of this church, in the hearing of the word, being in your presence when we worship. Let heaven fill this room. Let your kingdom come. Let the glory of God fall in this place, Lord, where you transform us. And we begin to reflect your glory like 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Like Moses, may the glory of the Lord shine through us to a lost and dark world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. 
in the name of Jesus. I want to just, men, would you just hold out your hand? Just, if you would, just hold them out or up. And Lord, I just pray for these spiritual pace setters, these men who will lead their marriages and their families, men who are broken, men who have gone through a marriage or even two. I pray, Lord, for the spirit of restoration to come upon them and that, Lord, you would renew them and resurrect them and they would get up out of their coffin and that they would see you, Lord, shine through them again in the name of Jesus. Do Isaiah 4, verse 5. Set your glory over every dwelling place. Our homes, living rooms, bedrooms, dining rooms, kitchens, shine upon us, O Lord. Fill our world again. Cover the earth with your glory and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, if you're hungry for revival, if you love the Lord, if you believe he is more than able... Come on, praise his name. We bless you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. If you lead someone to Christ this week, no, let me say, when you lead someone to Christ this week, will you text me? My number is 6668, I'm just kidding. You can text us here. Let it happen. Why don't we go for double digits this week? See somebody led to Christ this week. Shoot, Enoch will have 10 by himself. In Jesus' name, let it be. Now may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, lift his countenance upon you, and give you peace. Say, I receive it in Jesus' name. Bless you all. Have a great afternoon. Love you.